I pray that you would um, be with me, help me to just put distractions aside, help me to take everything that's cluttering my head and my heart, Lord, and, and help me to focus on you. Um, help me to focus on your word and, and just uh, help me to bring out the treasures that are, that are in it. Lord God, help me to um, preach the gospel this morning to to share the love of Jesus and, and your grace and your mercy uh, with these folks. And I pray that you would touch the folks who are here, that their hearts would be, uh, would be open to hearing from you and that they would know you more just by, just by hearing your word, Lord, that, that it would find uh, good soil um, to, to grow into a great harvest. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Um, when I was a kid, I'm told by my parents, uh, and I, I have no reason to believe it's not true, um, when I was a kid, I, I, like two or three years old apparently, they, they went to check on me before going to bed one night and I was gone, um, just gone entirely. And I guess had they been able to flash forward a, a few decades to see what I'd become, they might have celebrated. Uh, but at the time, being only two or three, they, they had a, a panic attack and they, they searched the neighborhood and the yard and, and you know went out looking for me. And apparently what I had done was I had gotten out of bed, which... I, I uh, did a lot, I guess, to hear my parents describe it, and I guess that's probably where my kids get it from. Um, but I'd gotten out of bed and crawled behind the couch in the living room and gone to sleep again. Um, and they, they had, you know, scoured and called the police and, and this big, like, search. And, and at some point in time during the search, I came crawling out from behind the couch, and, um, and they installed a, a bolt on the door to my bedroom at that point um, to, to make sure it never happened again. Um, I, I've not managed to lose any of my children that thoroughly, um, but I, I kind of get the idea, like that moment of panic that something vital is gone, um, that something vital and precious is suddenly missing from your possession. And, and as we uh, dive into the, the parable of the lost coin, um, we're, we're building up to the, the parable of the lost son. And I, I, I want to make a, a couple of points as we build up to it to kind of draw out the weight of that last parable. Um, but as we kind of work into it, just understand the mindset here is something precious beyond words that is gone. Um, I, I talked with uh, some of my friends about how to, how to come at this, what story to open with. And, and the first thing that was said, well, what about your keys? Because I lose my keys I constantly. Yeah, I, I constantly. Or my phone. And, and that I constantly lose that. I constantly lose everything I should carry around on a daily basis. You would think I'd get better at holding on to that stuff. But this is beyond that because my keys, I could get new ones, right? Or I could just steal Jess's. Um, you know, th- this is something that is precious, something irreplaceable. And, and so as we dive into the parable of the lost coin, a little background, right? The larger context, this is the Gospel of Luke. It was written by Luke, thus the name. Uh, Luke was a uh, doctor who had been a slave at one point um, and managed to um, get his freedom. He was trained as a doctor probably while he was a slave. It was a very common thing to do to, to educate one or two slaves in your, in your group so they would be able to tend to the others. And so Luke was this doctor. He was a well-educated man. Um, and as he's writing, he's very intentional about how he does things. And we're in chapter 15, but 14 kind of plays into this, where Jesus has this meal with the Pharisees, and the Pharisees give him a lot of grief at first, and then he fires back with both barrels and then reloads and fires back with both barrels. And the, the, the running theme throughout this is about how the Pharisees don't, seem to care about what God cares about. Um, 
Jesus talks about the man, this man that he heals and how he's more valuable than all sorts of things that the Pharisees, you know, consider to be valuable, but they don't get it. And then he tells a story about, you know, a guy who has a banquet and he says, listen, you know, this guy has a banquet and he ends up jilted by his friends and he invites the homeless, basically. And, and the point over and over again, as we get into this, um, the point is, you know, God's value on all people is huge. Um, and we can't put that aside because we have our own agenda. Um, we can't look at folks and say, I don't like you, so God doesn't like you either. Like, it doesn't work that way. Um, or you're not important to me, so God doesn't consider you to be important. Like, these are, they don't work. Um, as these parables start, it's a little later. Chapter 15 starts a little later, but they're next to each other to make a point. And Jesus is eating with tax collectors and sinners, and the Pharisees get mad because he's associating with these people. And Jesus starts telling stories, and the first one's about a lost sheep, right? Um, and the lost sheep wanders off, and the guy leaves his 99 to go get the one. And, and the point is, hey, you know what? Like, one lost man, one lost soul is worth enough to God that he would go searching for him. And they would have a party when he gets them back. And it ends with, and you know, and God celebrates. Like there's more celebrating in heaven when one person repents than 99 who don't need to. So we get into this other one, this, this coin thing. And, and there's kind of a series of rhetorical questions he's asking. The last parable was a long question. And this one is also a long question in Greek. Um, and so he's asking them a big question. And he's making a point, And we'll kind of work out the larger points as we go. Um, or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? Now, some real quick things, okay? This woman, um, the assumption is that she's like a widow or single or whatever, like she is not a married woman, and she is poor. How do we know she's poor? Because um, she's concerned about losing one silver coin. These coins were called drachmas, is actually the word that... Um, Luke uses and it's weird that he picks this one because like drachmas were Greek coins not Roman coins they weren't a common currency at the time and in fact Luke is the only Bible like like author who mentions the drachma right which is weird right why wouldn't he say the same thing you know in fact actually there's a Roman coin that has the same value um, but he mentions the drachma kind of random and we'll get to why um, but this woman has 10 silver coins this is the equivalent a drachma would be worth a day's work you could buy a sheep for a drachma oddly enough just kind of to, since the last one was about one sheep in a hundred that was missing this is about one drachma in 10 so the value has increased from one to the next right big deal um, it would take for anyone to save up 10 drachma a poor person um, to save up 10 drachma would take years I mean, it would take years. Like you are, this is a subsistence economy. Folks were eating what they earned. And if they missed work, they didn't eat. Um, and so this is, this is a big deal. She has 10 coins. Those 10 coins might be her dowry, right? Um, a lot of times women at the time would have like a headdress that they would wear for their wedding day. You know, just take note, Hannah. Um, they would have a headdress they wear for their wedding day and they would have like their drachmas hanging in the front and, and like hanging off and it would show, I know, I, I'm just saying like, like a headdress, like a veil with $50 bills hanging in the front. Um, just think about it. <laughs> hey, quit conversing. <laughs> marriage, marriage discussion is later. Uh, 
So she loses one of these drachma. It also may have been a rainy day fund. It doesn't really say. It doesn't really matter that much as to why. Um, but, but she loses one. And, and she knows the coin hasn't gone far because it's a drachma. Drachmas, I got a little picture here, and you can't really tell that. Well, you sort of can. It is not round and flat. The way these coins were made, they would heat up the metal, and they would spoon out this coin. And it would have, like, it would be round-ish, but it would be like a bowl like slightly bowl-shaped. So when it would hit the ground and roll, it wouldn't roll very far. Any of y'all ever dropped a quarter and had it roll like all the way down the grocery store aisle? You know, and it's, well, that, that thing's gone. I'm not crawling around on the floor to Walmart to get it. Um, this coin would have hit the ground and it would have turned. It might have rolled a little ways, but it didn't leave the house. And part of the way we know she's poor is she has to light lamps. She doesn't open the shades. Um, poor people at the time lived in houses that were minuscule, right? Um, and, and they didn't have windows. Like the poorest people would have no windows in their home and their door would be low cut. So you would have to kind of crouch down to get into the house. And so this is a very dark home she has and counting or whatever. She drops it or she realizes it suddenly missing. I can't help think about like a golem where he loses his ring. You know, and he, and he, oh my gosh, it's gone, and he has to search for it. He ends up searching everywhere for it. This is sort of the same way, where this thing is of so much value. It would have taken her eternity, I mean, literally years to accumulate this much wealth into one place. Um, and, and mind you, like, you think, you know, I save up every once in a while to buy something fun. You know, I, I, I will set aside, you know, $5 at a time and sort of accumulate cash and buy a toy. Um, for a single woman in the first century, um, if she hit financial hard time, she could end up a prostitute or a slave. Okay, so a rainy day fund for a woman like this, not a small deal. Not like, oh, man, I lost my cash. I, you know, it's, it's not as big a deal in our setting. In this setting, it was a huge, huge deal. And so she lights a lamp and she sweeps. Now, a quick heads up, the reason she would sweep is um, in these houses, they would get very dusty and dirty. Right? Because the roads weren't all that paved. I know y'all can't relate to this metaphor or to this situation. Um, <laughs> but they weren't, like, they didn't dig them down quite the way we did either. I mean, you would walk around in this very dusty climate, and you would carry that dust back with you, and you would deposit it everywhere. Right? And so she'd sweep, and likely the coin is in dust, right, or in a pile of dirt, buried. And she would sweep and sweep, and eventually, what would give away the, the coin in a pile of dust? It might be sparkly, or it might make a whole lot of noise, right? Because stone floor in a house, a silver coin might, might tinkle, right? Like the, the noise um, that, that it might make would be like that. But she seeks diligently. Like, and the difference between this parable and the previous one, by the way, what did I just miss? Oh. Anybody else drink too much coffee this morning? Um, Um, she seeks diligently. Now, in the first parable, right, you have this sheep that wanders off, and there's sort of some emphasis here. I'm not a cattle rancher. I've never raised sheep. I've never raised animals. Um, I'm guessing that part of the concern folks have when they lose animals is, you know, that the animal is going to suffer, right? I mean, mean, there's genuine concern that, you know, like, like, coyotes are going to get a hold of it or you know wolves if you live in the mountains or or what have you it might just starve to death or you know what i mean like there's all kinds of bad things that can happen and so like for the shepherd a shepherd who's 
you know, the animal knows his voice, and it, he would have named it and raised it and everything else. Like, he would have been concerned about the hurt of the animal. This woman is concerned about a coin. Coins generally don't feel much, right? Money doesn't have hurt feelings. Um, it seems like it's angry at me most of the time, but, but for the most part, it's inanimate, right? And so, thank you, somebody, for laughing at that. Um, <laughs> All of the concern, like the previous one, the concern is over the lost sheep and its fate, and the shepherd has a concern. The emphasis here is on the woman, right? She is realizing that something very precious, almost irreplaceable, is gone. And, and she seeks, seeks it out, you know, like it's something irreplaceable. I remember when my wife lost her wedding ring. Um, I, it's not often that I see my wife become like, like tearful over losing something, right? But she, she cried and, and searched, and, and I'm going to be in trouble for sharing this now later. I, um, but she, she searched, and she borrowed a metal detector, and she, she flipped the couch up and cut the bottom out and, like, looked inside the couch and, like, scoured and, and you know, tore the laundry room apart, and like, 25 times, I think. I, I can't tell you. I think I actually moved the washer three times, you know, as though the ring was going to find its way back there. Um, if only some hero would have found it for her. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, but she seeks diligently because it is precious. Um, and, and the analogy here is on God, right? Um, when we are lost, God seeks us because we are precious. You individually and personally are precious to God in a way that you can't even understand on your own. Like our understanding of how much God loves us and how much God aches to have us back when we wander off. How like passionate God is in his love for us. Like, like we don't even have a frame of reference to understand it. I'm not sure if that makes sense. I, uh, my kids every once in a while... Um, like Abby wandered off a few years ago, we were playing in the yard and I was doing something and she wandered into the house and I'm running around the house looking for her and yelling and I'm freaked out like, oh my gosh, where did Abby go? And I go and she's like, oh, I was just right here. It's no big deal. And like my daughter lacks the capacity to understand how upset I was. Do you under, y'all get where I'm coming from? Like she, she has no frame of reference for that kind of upset. She loses a stuffed animal and cries. Right. Um, I lose persons and I and I, you know, oh, my gosh. The, the depth of God's sense of loss, the get, depth of God's like desperation to recover us um, can't be understated. And, and he uses this analogy, by the way, he also uses something of increasing value. Why? You have sheep, one in a hundred. You've got a coin, one in ten. Right. Also a thing. Right. And then the next one, it's a son. And he's telling the story to the Pharisees who are like, hey, look at all these sinners Jesus is eating with. Why would he lower himself to eat with those sinners? And Jesus is like, well, hey, you'd look for a sheep. And you'd look for a coin. These folks are here hearing the good news. They're coming back to God through me. Um, you should take this seriously. You shouldn't treat it like it's nothing. So she finds it. Um, there's the coin again. And Jesus said to him, Oh, uh, I'm sorry. I, I have a couple of verses. This is uh, from Zacchaeus. Like Jesus visits Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus' house, and he eats with him. We all know that story, right? Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He was also a tax collector, which means he was probably an extortionist. 
Um, he was also, I mean, he was, he was not a good guy. Zacchaeus was a bad guy. Jesus went to the bad guy's house and ate with him. And the Pharisees show up and they're like, oh my gosh, why would he eat with this guy? Why would he associate with this man who robs us, who betrays us to the Romans? And Jesus says to them, today salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Um, I, I, I included this and I got one more thing I wanted to touch on this, like to, to offer some perspective. Like this lost coin is what Jesus has done for us, right? Jesus steps out of glory, um, steps out of eternity where he was you know, worshipped by countless angels, um, where from the beginning of time he sat on the throne like, like running the world, and he stepped into our world to save Zacchaeus. Like that one lost coin, like the, the, again, we lack frame of reference for how far he went for him, how far he goes for you. Um, there is no way for us to properly understand it. Like, like Jesus tells stories to sort of create you know, an understanding, but like, like it defies our, our mere perception, our mere frame of reference. Um, Ezekiel tells an interesting thing where, um, for thus says the Lord, this is, um, Ezekiel in sort of a long tirade about how the leaders of Israel have failed to lead the sheep to him. Um, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out as a shepherd seeks out his flock. When he is among the sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on the day of clouds and thick darkness. Now, we're going to do Ezekiel 34 in a few weeks, the whole chapter, but I wanted to pull this out and sort of emphasize how far Jesus goes looking for us, right? He knows we haven't gotten far. He knows we can't get away from him, right? So he lights all the lights, and he shows up in this light to the world. And he travels around looking for the lost, like, like seeking them out because they are precious to him. Like shining a light in the dark places, seeking out those who are, are, are lost. And I don't know about y'all, sometimes I'm sitting back there with my eyes covered and my hands over my ears like, God, I am not listening to you today. Right? I would listen to you, but these guys are jerks. And these guys are awful. And I hate them. And I don't want to love you as much as I hate them. Or um, this sin is fun. Anybody ever done that? Oh, sin is fun. It is, right? These things I'm chasing after are important to me. These things I worship that are not you are important to me. And so sometimes we sit in the dark and we close our eyes and we cover our ears and we say, I'm not going to be found. You get away from me. Um, But Jesus continues searching, even though we don't deserve it. Even though sometimes we sit in the dark and like resist him, he still looks. Um, He goes on with his parable. And when she found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me for I have found the coin that I have lost. Now, this is a, not something to miss, okay? Because there's a couple little details that would be easy to miss. First off, in Greek, this would be other women. She invites her girlfriends over, right? I, I'm guessing that Hannah at some point in the last few days has invited all her young lady friends over and they've had a conversation about how exciting it'll be to be married. You have, haven't you? They showed up, they showed up, and they celebrated with you. Am I right? And you all probably ate food together, and you probably giggled. Okay. And you did all the things because you were all happy and rejoicing. How many of them just got engaged the other day? 
None of them, right? Just you. Um, but they all came and they shared in your joy, right? She is inviting folks over who are more than just people who live next to her, right? And Big Sandy, maybe you have a better frame of reference to this. The crazy thing about Big Sandy is if you don't like your neighbor, you have to try at least not to offend them, right? Because if you do, they're going to live next to you for the rest of your life. And if you tick off that guy, you're going to have to deal with that for the rest of your life. Um, these are people who were friends because they had known each other their whole lives and would live together until they were dead. Um, these are people who genuinely are close to her and care about a lost coin. It doesn't seem like a big deal, but to her it was a huge deal. And everybody around her gathered up and said, wow, that's awesome because... It was awesome to her. Any of y'all ever get worn out by other people's news on Facebook? Oh, someone's engaged. Oh, somebody's, you know, kid got an A. If I see another, my kid is an honor student. Actually, that's the nice thing about Big Sandy. We don't have those bumper stickers. Do we? <laughs> so did they just do away with them? Or no? Um, <laughs> The, the point being, like, we get so overrun with other people's big, like, good news, it becomes not such a big deal to us, right? Like, it is always there. These are people who cared, who didn't have to be invited over, probably. Had they known the situation, they would have just showed up, and they would have eaten and giggled and talked about how great it was that the coin was back or, or what have you. Like, like, these are people who are gathering up to rejoice with her because, um, because this is such a huge deal. These are not strangers. These are people who have shared heart on the matter. Um, by the way, the implied, the phrasing implies that they had a, that they had a party and a banquet. Um, just to kind of give a little context, because Luke likes that kind of thing, right? They have a banquet to celebrate the lost coin, just as they're having a banquet with sinners who are eating with Jesus. Just as like the, the man in the previous story um, was having a banquet and invited folks to come celebrate with him. Like, and the point being that those who love her, those who share her heart, those who care about her will come and celebrate. Uh, by the way, the sinners are there like meeting Jesus and hearing from him. Um, and Jesus is celebrating. Who should be celebrating with him? Everyone, right? The religious people ought to be especially celebrating. The people who have been, you know, fretting over the sins of their neighbors forever. Um, part of the point of this, by the way, we find it in Ezekiel 18. Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord, and not rather that they should turn from his way and live. You want to read this topic to death, just read all of chapter 18 when you get home. Over and over again, he says, hey, I don't want wicked people to die. I want them to turn to me. I don't want to destroy sinful people. I want their hearts to be made right. I don't want the lost to be lost forever. I want them to be found. This is the heart and the passion of God. And actually, if you look at it, from the point of the fall, God orients all of creation around this purpose, right? He reorders time and space and steps into it and like everything builds up to this purpose of saving the lost. It is God's like passion to find the lost. Um, and it shouldn't be taken lightly. People who share God's heart, people who are best friends with God and love him dearly should be passionate about the things that he's passionate about. We ought not look at our neighbors and say, man, I do not like you. I will be so happy when God judges you. Anybody ever felt that way towards someone? Come on. <laughs> and I'm going to acknowledge I'm in that boat too, right? 
Like it is easy because that isn't really God's heart. It's ours. We look at folks and say, man, I cannot wait until God squishes you. It's not right. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. There's an interesting phrase in there. Now watch this. Joy before the angels of God. Like some rabbis use this phrase to say God without saying God. Right? Now, it's not clear that that's what Jesus is doing here. Actually, I would argue what's happened here is in the first story, God in heaven celebrates over the lost who are found. And now we expand it outward. And the angels celebrate with God. And then in the last one, the third parable, because there's three parables in the story, when the father is having this great big party, my son is found, come on, let's have this party. The older brother, the good religious one, hangs out outside and says, I'm not showing up. He's a bad guy. I'm not celebrating him coming back. He should be groveling. He should not be celebrated. Like, and the older brother hangs out outside. And the, the hint, like the point, the buildup of the whole parable is, Pharisees, you are the older brother. You guys were sitting there watching the sinful like, and, you know, oh, man, those guys, I can't believe Jesus would eat with them. You are the older brother. And the point being here again, God celebrates over the lost found. God rejoices over the lost found. Anybody who fails to do so fails to know God's heart. Anybody who doesn't celebrate over the broken being mended doesn't know God's heart properly. Does it mean you're lost? No. It means that you got some growing to do. It's the truth, right? Um, I uh, pulled this out of uh, Revelation. I really wanted to share it because when all is said and done and the whole of creation comes about, you and I will see this. And I love this passage, and I've read it a million times to people in different settings, and I, I had to come to it, right? Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of a mighty peal of thunder crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. Who is the bride of the Lamb? We are. How are they clothed in fine linen? Because Jesus cleanses us with his blood. We can stand righteous before God because Jesus died for us. And this is the wedding feast of the Lamb at the end of time. The wedding feast of the Lamb that is celebrated basically because the lost are found and they're reunited with God. Like the greatest party that will ever, 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 ever take place will be over the redemption of sinners. And Jesus' work dying for them and his marriage to the church. And the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are, the, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, you must not do this. I'm a fellow servant with you. And your brothers who hold the testimony of Jesus worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. What's going on here? He's saying, listen, we are going to celebrate the work of Jesus in, in redeeming the loss. Like that tenth coin will be found, and in eternity God will have a party for it. Um, so what do we do with this? How do we play this out? How do we apply this? Actually, there's an interesting thing I found. There's a rabbi, Rabbi Phineas Ben-Jer, who um, took this parable about 50 years, 75 years later. He rewrote it, and he worked it into his teaching. Kind of funny, except what he said was wisdom 
is like a coin that you've lost. And you should light a light and search everywhere in the Torah for wisdom because recovering wisdom is the best thing you can possibly do because the rabbis put more value on wisdom and on their own enrichment than they did on the lost. Um, and it's a great lineup. Like, and it, it happens in the modern church. We love, we love learning about Jesus. I do. I'm not going to lie. I have the best job in the world because I get to study the Bible for a living and then tell you all about it so I can help you all sleep sometimes. Um, <laughs> like, I have the best job in the world because of that. I get to acquire wisdom. I get to dig into the scriptures. Like, that is awesome. But ultimately, that exists so that we can draw people closer to God. We change our hearts by knowing Jesus, by becoming like Jesus, so we can be a light to the world, so we can be an adequate bride for him in eternity. Um, as we search the scriptures, as we study it, some of you all go to Bible studies, right? So we all do devotional readings. This is so we can know God better, but we know God better. We grow spiritually so we can grow other people spiritually. You are not given treasure to hold on to it yourself, right? You're given treasure to share it with the folks around you. Um, what else do we do with this? The, uh, um, gosh, I, I, I'm going to put Carly on the spot, and I didn't ask you for permission. Can I do this, Carly? The best thing I've seen in my, almost probably in my whole life, like I will remember this forever, watching Carly in the weeks before Yancey, or in the months before Yancey was born, I've never seen anybody who prayed and sought after God more diligently, right? I'm not knocking on anybody I know. I'm saying, like, like she desperately sought after God for, for, for her daughter, right? She was broken, like praying and, and going to God daily for that little girl, right? And she actually was rewarded with a beautiful, wonderful, awesome little girl, right? Um, gosh, what a great analogy. Um, what we're called to do is to empathize with God and is seeking the lost, right? We look at folks who don't know Jesus and we empathize with them. And we recognize that Carly emulated Jesus at that point. She sought after the lost. She was broken for her child. Like, Jesus is broken for us. He's broken for your neighbor. He's broken for that wicked person who you have to, like, deal with every day. You know the one I'm talking about, right? The one that lives down the street and you have to see sometimes. And you think, man, I can't wait for God to deal with that guy. But, like, Jesus was broken and, and wept for that person. He bled for that person. Um, and, and we're to empathize with it. We're supposed to grow to a point where we alter our hearts to be passionate for those folks. Um, it's easy to put ourselves at the center of the universe, isn't it? Sun rises and set by me. It does. Um, God will bless me with everything I want if I'm faithful. And in reality, that's silly. Um, Jesus is the center of the universe, and what he desires should be our heart's desire. We should show up and celebrate with him like folks showed up and celebrated with Hannah. You're engaged, hee hee. It's so wonderful, hee hee, right? I mean, it was sort of like that. <laughs> um, we should desire the salvation of the lost. Um, we should desire the, the redemption of the broken and the healing of the broken and the, the, all of this. We should hunger after it the way he does. And when it happens, we should celebrate. And some of you all, I honestly, I was looking at this and I'm like, man, I do not feel this way most of the time. Am I the only one? All right. <laughs> All right, at least a few of us. Um, 
how do we fix that? Well, we fix it by, like, in prayer and in study and all this other stuff. Like, you got to fill yourself up with the right stuff. But a part of it is serving people that you don't like. Isn't that awful? Finding people that you judge and that you despise and doing good things for them. Finding people you look down on and serving them and loving them. And it'll gall you. Isn't it right? It'll burn you inside. It hurts to do it. But what that is, is that's your flesh fighting against you. Not everything we do in the Christian life feels that good, right? Sometimes we do things to kill off the old man, to crucify him daily, as Paul would put it. And as we serve folks who are awful, it changes our hearts. And it changes our hearts slowly sometimes, but it does change them. Um, And we go to God in prayer every time. It doesn't change our hearts. We say, God, please help fix this in me. Help me to love these people. Um, We dedicate ourselves to what's important to God because, honestly, the lost are worth more than sheep. They're worth more than money. They're worth more than all sorts of things. I mean, like, they were worth the life of God's only son. I mean, mean, this is a biblical thing for us to do to seek after them. Um, And it's hard. Isn't it true? Um. My challenge to you this week is to ask, like, where are you at on this stuff? You know, do you have a hunger to share Jesus with folks? Do you have a hunger to have lost people know, know him? Do you have folks that you just despise and wish God would finally step on for you? Right? I mean, where are you at? Pray and seek after it. Like, dig in and figure it out. And if you're wrong in some area, fix it. Because, honestly, that's the other part of, like, being dressed in white for the wedding is... Um, is our hearts being made right, us being purified to be like Jesus. Um, that's our job, is to become more like him every day. Let's close in prayer, and, and I'll do a blessing, and we will finish up. Um, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us to hunger after the lost, hunger after the oppressed and the broken and the, and the, uh, and the world, Lord. Help us to hunger after those folks and to desire to see them in salvation. Um, help us to celebrate when, when sinners hear your gospel. Help us to to point folks to you and to love them until they know you. Um, Just give us your grace and your mercy in that. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand up and we'll close with a blessing. May your hearts and your souls be like that of Hannah's friends. May you be the sort of people that show up at God's table and celebrate with him when the lost are saved. May you be the kind of people that mourn when they're not. In Jesus' name, amen.